Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Thank you very much. My wife often listens to introductions like that and says, yeah, but he can't load a dishwasher. (laughs) You think I'm joking? Sometimes she says it loud enough for everyone to hear. I don't know what it is about dishwashers. I just don't get them. I mean, it's not that I don't want to do stuff in the kitchen, but um, wow, that with the police, that's not normal. I mean, you're not going to find that in the major cities of our world everywhere you go. Johannesburg's a major city in our world. You know, it's flagged up in, in the world. It's a significant city. And you had every one of the police districts represented in this room with their chiefs. That's not normal. You, you might be causing some reformation in your city. You, you, should, you should watch out. That's not normal. It just isn't normal. That's extraordinary. And, and Moses, that's not normal worship leading. That's not... No, it's not. The only reason I'm saying this is just in case you don't travel much <laughs> and you think that what you've got is normal. It's not normal. It's supernatural. It's extraordinary. It's excellence. It's not, it's not normal. I mean, we go to churches and they might sing three songs or five songs and it's all very nice and it's, it's, it's all very nice. But his was not only very nice, he also smiles while he worships, which is not normal. <laughs> and, uh, and he ushers the people into the presence of God in a profound way. I just want you to know, you, you don't get that everywhere. Churches like this don't happen everywhere. This is a wonderful and a unique and beautiful place. and That's why when we get off the plane in three places in the world, we feel at home here in California and England it's home it's just it's home because we have the same stuff in our hearts we have the same address in our hearts as you have and uh, it's very very special and it's a great privilege to be here and to keep on coming back and I think I'm meant to do something which I I I honestly I've probably it's it's maybe six times I've ever done I am going to preach but I I just want to pray for something and when I came in here to second service not first service and um, I, I got a sense to pray for something. And, um, and then I said to God, I, I'm not going to do that unless something else happens. Then Sue leant over and whispered something to me and asked me a question about something. And I thought, oh gosh, that was that. That's okay, I'll do it. I, I want to pray for romance. Now, sometimes I call that a spirit of romance. Then people say, is there a spirit of romance in the Bible? It's like, probably not. But it, it, it's, I'm not, I'm, it's not about that. But when I say spirit, I'm saying that I, I just want to invite any of you here, and you, you're single, you want to be married, um, to, to dare to stand up. And I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm not going to do any speed dating or anything like that. <laughs> um, but I just want to pray. I, I, I had a sense that God wanted to really do something in this in this family of uh, romance. Now, I, I, I honestly, it's about five or six times. It's no more than that. You'll have to trust me that that is true. Um, but I, I've been to places and they've 
a couple actually came up to me just after COVID and said, you did this in that meeting there and we met and we got married and here's our baby and we'd never met before that meeting. And I'm like, oh, okay, so this thing actually, something happened. So I just want to pray for you. If you're single, I, I want to pray that there is a real wave or, and anything that's in your heart that's getting in the way any limitation in your heart that's getting in the way of you even being able to fall in love, to even to know what it would feel like to feel in love, to be in love. And I just want to pray for you. And I thank you for your courage in standing. And, and it does take courage. But I, I'm just going to declare over you a wave. If you can allow me to say spirit of romance, I'm not saying it's a, it's a gift of the spirit, but I think it's part of it. And, and you know, the Bible and church, these two pictures, uh, sorry, marriage and the church, these two pictures are very similar. You know, Paul said, I'm not talking about husbands and wives, I'm talking about Christ and the church. The same, that, that same sense of love and devotion that the bride has for a groom, I want the Lord to release that same devotion over brides for grooms and grooms for brides. Is that okay? So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would truly break any any barrier, anything that's getting in the way, any obstacle, any restriction, any false expectation, any personal self-doubt. And I just ask that there will be a wave of romance that floods through this family, through this church, and that there would be multiple relationships started. They may not be started in this room, but they'll be, they'll be started here with this prayer. And that you would meet that deep cry and deep desire of these quite several, you know, dozens of people standing. You'd meet this deep desire for a mate that the biblical order of, you know, men and women, it's not good for man to be alone. You restored the standard of goodness in the garden by creating woman. It's your standard of goodness. So, Father, I pray that there will be something that begins today, a wave of romance. And John will be calling me and saying, I have so many weddings happening in this church. Father, I pray that it would be that kind of uh, change and that you would bring this beautiful gift of marriage into this house in a new and fresh way. In your precious name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What my wife turned and whispered to me was, she's waiting for a text from somebody that's going to pop the question and uh, <laughs> she's literally waiting for somebody to text and we're not sure whether it's today or it's next Sunday and when she said that it's like oh I better do that then. <laughs> so just so you know that that was what was happening in case you think I'm crazy I'm, I'm a little bit but you know and uh, so just um, it really is a privilege to be here to, um, to have the privilege of, of, of just calling this a, a, you know family and friends and and I want to just talk to you about, um, in, in many respects, a, a journey that I've been on. And I, if you were here for a service, it probably won't be exactly the same. It never is. I, I kind of have notes, but it's mostly just some, some things just to remind me. But um, I, I usually just see where he goes and what he prompts we, me with. But I want to talk about the moment on the road to Damascus when Saul met the resurrected Jesus. And I hope that what I will do is I'll plant in you a seed that will cause you to go away and want to study for yourself and read the Bible, especially the letters of Paul, differently for you. Um, I, I tend to be the kind of 
preacher that wants you to do something as a result of me preaching I don't want you to just go well that was good that was clever it's like that's no good to any of us if we don't preach for changed lives it's probably not worth being up here Moses might just as well carry on worshiping because we're going to see more change through that than me just preaching nice words you know um, and uh, so this all began with me I was I got stuck in a verse which is 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12 which I wondered when I first read it why I'd missed it because I love government and 12's the number of government and it's 1212 and I'm thinking I should have found that verse and the verse actually isn't really that much to do with what I'm preaching but it started me off on a on a journey it's I, I don't know how God works sometimes but he does and the verse actually is that the signs of the true apostle have been seen amongst us, uh, signs and miracles with perseverance. And I, I was reading, I was stuck in it for days. I just read one verse. Incidentally, if you ever beat yourself up because you, know, you, you feel like you're not keeping up with your Bible reading program where you've got to read the whole Bible in you know, the first 80 days of the new year or something to be a, a Christian, stop beating yourself up. You know? uh, sometimes one verse is all you need. Um, as long as you're in the word that's all you need and I'm not saying don't do the program but sometimes I I mean there was one at the beginning of this year I saw and I think it was read the Bible in 60 days and I'm thinking no I I actually have a life I don't know that I could manage that amount of reading and anyway what good would it do me because I'd speed read it and it wouldn't go in so give yourself a break some of you are busy some of you are in your car at 5 30 in the morning to go to work and you're getting home at 7 30 in the night one verse one good verse get it in your head remember it. that'll that'll work you know and uh and I, all the it's all good bible reading programs but sometimes i think it becomes religion and it becomes rules and it it actually prevents her from him and so i read this one verse and it got me hooked on paul i, I just and obviously i mean i've always liked him because he's got a good name so i i i <laughs> But I, I got hooked on him and it, it took me back to his, his moment on the road to Damascus. And I, I often cross things out in my Bible, not the verses, but the words that man writes between the verses. Because I just disagree with them sometimes. Like the prodigal son is the story of the extravagant father who had two sons. You know, if you read the prodigal son and only look for the prodigal son, you'll miss most of the story. Um, I, I, judgment Day in Revelation, it's not, it's Deliverance Day he's delivering us he's going to judge for us not against us it's deliverance day and and Paul it says the conversion of Saul it's like no it wasn't it was he was converted but to limit it to that is to limit this extraordinary moment and and so I I began reading once again this incredible story of Saul on the road to Damascus which incidentally is three times in the same book in the Bible that makes it pretty significant the way I think and I, I began reading it and, and here's the thing I think that we sanitize the Bible I think we end up making it just a little bit too nice and we miss some of the raw guts of the Bible and these extraordinary stories and and really for me what what happened to Paul was not just a conversion it was an encounter and this is a is a historic journal of encounters of ordinary men and women with an extraordinary God who end up living extraordinary lives to bring glory to God but actually it becomes our guidebook for us to become the ordinary men and women who have encounters with an extraordinary God and lead extraordinary lives for him and and so we we do we have this danger of sanitizing it and 
you know, we'll, we'll read. And I've been in, in church where people will start reading. They put on their best reading verse and they read, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. What? He's breathing threats and murder. He is going to kill people like us. That's what he's doing. The chapter before says, And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That's Stephen. That's the context. Saul is walking down the road to Damascus carrying letters from the priest that give him permission to go and arrest us, to kill us, to take us into custody. He's breeding murderous threats. I hate you. I'm coming to get you. He's screaming that everything he's learned from his days studying the Old Testament as we would know it has justified him in going to the priests and say, give me letters of commendation that give me permission to arrest anybody who is following this Jesus that we've heard about. That's the context of this. It's not nice. He wasn't a nice man at that point. You wouldn't have wanted to meet him and have dinner with him. He is a zealous man on a mission to wipe Christianity off the planet. And on the road to Damascus, he suddenly hits the ground. He has a power encounter. He hits the ground. He's blinded. Blinded. Can you imagine it? He's this confident guy. His disciples behind him. We're on our way to Damascus. They're looking everywhere for anyone who might be following the way. They're, he's on his way. He's confident. He's, he's ready. He's got his letters. He's got permission. Maybe they've got handcuffs or they've got leather straps. They're going to arrest people. They're going to take them into custody. That's the scene. And he hits the deck with a power encounter. He's blinded and he hears a voice. He hears the voice of the one that he's persecuting. This is Jesus who you are persecuting. That's the scene. He's on the deck. Imagine it. He's on the ground. He's blind. He's heard a voice. He knows what the voice said. He's hit the deck. He's dazed probably. What happened? His life flashing before his eyes like it would be if you just had somebody fire a bullet at you. His everything's flashing before his eyes and his disciples are with him. And they hear a sound, but not a voice. And they've seen their man on the ground blinded. And that blinded man looks up and says, change of plan. And he now has to ask the disciples who were taking him into Damascus. He has to ask them to guide him because he can't see, but he knows where to go. And they can see, but they don't know where to go. And they thought they had another mission. And Paul's now saying, change your plan. Saul, sorry, I interchanged, but I'm not quite sure at what moment his name changed. Spiritually, probably then. Change your plan. And so he's guided. He's led. He's led into a town where everybody knows everywhere else, everyone else. There's small streets and there's people who've been hiding probably for fear of their lives, followers of the way. And they're looking out of their windows and cracks in the doors. And they see this man who they thought was coming to arrest them, being guided to a house. And everybody knows what's going on. 
And at the same time, there's a man called Ananias. And Jesus is having a chat with him as well. The resurrected Jesus shows up to Ananias. And Jesus says, hey, I, I got something for you to do. I want you to go and visit the guy who was coming to arrest you and kill you. I want you to go to his house. I want you to go tell him he's a chosen instrument of mine. That he will suffer much for preaching the gospel. You can imagine Ananias, it's in the text, but it's sanitized. I think I'd have been screaming, no, what do you want me to do? I need 300 confirmations that this is you telling me what to do, where to go and what to say. He was coming to kill me. My reputation's gonna be in absolute shreds if anybody sees me sneaking out of my house into his house where everybody knows he's gone. But he goes. He goes to the house. He prays for him, lays hands on him and scales fall from Saul's eyes and he extends his hand and says two of the most powerful, extraordinary words in the entire Bible. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Brother Saul, you, you think you have people that are against you that you would struggle to meet? You probably don't even come close to that. He says, Brother Saul. And Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. He has some food. He has some drink. He's strengthened. And before you know it, he's preaching the gospel. And now he's being questioned by the people that he was opposing. And they're wondering if he's for real. And now the hunter becomes the hunted. And they pretty much chase him out of the town. And he has to be lowered in a basket. You know the story. It's outrageous. This is not a conversion which would be a bookend. This is an encounter which becomes the bookshelf on which everything he ever said, wrote and did sits. The bookshelf that really gives us our Christianity. What an extraordinary moment. It was emotional, that encounter. It was suddenly. It was transformational. It was prophetic. It was undeserved. And the one that gets me the most is, it was unwanted. I mean, he hadn't been in a prayer meeting the night before and said, hey, I want you to pray for me. I need an encounter. Really need a good encounter. He hadn't prayed that. It's pretty much the last thing he would have wanted. But he had an encounter, undeserved, unwanted, prophetic, surprising, suddenly, emotional, directional, relational. It is, other than Jesus coming from heaven to earth, it is the ultimate encounter. And rather than it becoming an impossible high watermark that none of us will ever rise up to, I believe it is an invitation for every one of us to understand that there is an invitation for us to have encounters. If I live for something, I live for many things, but there is one thing I, I really do live for, and that is I never want to stand on a platform and present a Christianity which is unattainable, unachievable, out of touch, out of reach, superior, in any way related to, for some reason, because I have a microphone, I have a better take on it than anybody else. I never want that to be the case. And if I preach something unachievable, if I preach something that I blatantly don't live, I, I can assure you this, there's a lady on the front row that will slap me. <laughs> She'll let me know. 
See, I, 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 I want to say to every one of you, get hungry for encounters. But I have a feeling that something that's happened, and it happens a lot with kind of new revelation, is that we get that revelation and then it becomes a familiarity of language and people start talking about it, but there's an assumption that we're familiar with it. There's an assumption that we know what we're talking about. And it almost becomes awkward to ask the question of the speaker, what do you mean by an encounter? And that's why I want to unpack a little bit of it. And I want to also talk to you about how what happened to Paul is that Paul had an encounter which became a testimony. And the testimony becomes a prophecy and the prophecy becomes a weapon with which I fight for my future and I fight the fears of my future. And that's available to all of us. That sequence is available to all of us. Your encounters become your testimonies. Your testimonies become your prophecies. Your prophecies become your weapons with with which to fight for your future. I I don't want there to be a familiarity of language. I I don't want you just here, oh, Paul mentioned encounter. And you go away and talk about encounters, but you don't know what I said. You don't know how it applies to you. So I want to unpack it a little bit. Sue and I used to live in Redding, California. Now I know, uh, when I often share this now in England, you know, there is no animal in England that can kill you, okay? We don't have any. We don't even have rabies. We managed to keep that out of the country. Quite remarkable. When we lived in California, there were mountain lions. I know they're babies compared with the real ones from here. But there were mountain lions. And if you went out for a walk and you saw a mountain lion... In other words, you have an encounter with an animal that can kill you, you will change the way you walk. (laughs) Not only that, as you guys advise us so well, don't walk alone. They don't like groups of people. That's why they don't like the safari trucks or whatever. It's that sense of, so if I meet a mountain lion in California, I will change the way that I walk. I won't walk alone. And as the Americans like to say, I'll start packing. In other words, I'll have some power tucked right inside my sock. Because an encounter should change you. It should change the way you walk, change the company you keep, and make you aware that you need to pack some power, which is really what happened to Saul. Changed the way he walked, changed his company, and he was packing some power. See, encounters are meant to change us. We're meant to be transformed by them. This beautiful Bible is a book of encounters. The Christian faith is an encounter faith. The book that I'm writing will be called Encounter Christianity. Because somehow I managed 10 years ago to buy the website encounterchristianity.com and I suddenly have a reason to use it. So even God even knew that. Um, But what are encounters? I'll run through a few of them just to encourage you. I always start with dreams because they're commonplace but they can be extraordinary. The Bible says my mind instructs me in the night season. Your your dreams can be encounters to instruct you, to guide you, to direct you. Benny Johnson had a dream about me six months before I had prostate cancer surgery. She told me the dream six months before in the middle of the night when I was not doing very well. The doctors were worried about me. I woke up in the middle of the night and remembered Benny's dream. And it probably saved my life. A dream. Encounters. They're commonplace, but you know, some of us don't remember our dreams when we wake up. Some of us 
Like I had a dream, but I didn't manage to write it down quick enough. And there's other people who seem to have a dream every day and write it in a journal and it means something extraordinary. But dreams can be encounters. Or prophetic words, they're encounters. Why? Because a prophetic word is an encounter with God who knows your future. See, the prophet's been to the future, heard, as it were, the future talking about you and comes back and whispers in your ear and says, you're looking good. You're going to do some things you never dream of. It's an encounter. But we can miss it if we, if we leave it, as it were, on a stage or we, we leave it with the dramatic story that somebody shared about the encounter when 24 angels flew past, you know, and lit up the sky and wrote words in the sky and we go, oh, I've never had one of those. You've had encounters, dreams and prophecies or the still small voice of God, those moments when you know he spoke. We can pass them by so easily because we want the sound of the earthquake, don't we? We want the thundering voice from heaven. But that great passage in Kings is not in the earthquake. He's not in the wind. He's not in the storm. He's in the whisper. Those whispers are encounters. Encounters with him speaking. That's an encounter. Or we can have encounters through other people. We can meet somebody and they, they say something or they do something. And it's an encounter because that person has Christ in them, the hope of glory. They're filled with the Spirit. They have the mind of Christ. They're an ambassador. It can be an encounter if we'll dare to look. Of course, there are encounters, theophanies, Christophanies that people write about when Jesus walks in the room. There are increasing accounts today, aren't there, of of people particularly it seems of the Muslim faith seeing a man in white that's an encounter amazing if you're here today and you're already a Christian you've had an encounter you can't join this family without an encounter without the conviction of the Holy Spirit without saying yes to Jesus without inviting him to live in your life to be your Lord and your Saviour without asking for the Holy Spirit to fill you and and be your friend. You've had an encounter. Or out there in the beauty of nature, there are encounters to be had with his beauty because the creator left his mark so that we could meet him. Because Romans says the whole of creation displays his power, his nature, his attributes. Problem is sometimes we're either in too much of a hurry that we miss it or we put encounters on a pedestal and we say they're out of reach of us. But I want to say to you, there are encounters waiting for you. Some of my favorites are in here. Sitting in the morning and reading a verse and realizing, oh, that's for me. I was going into probably one of the most difficult meetings of my last year. We've had a a little bit of a challenging situation that I found myself working with. I woke up, it's a Friday morning, I had a very difficult meeting um, that I was going to in person. It was, there were lots of reasons why it was very difficult. And uh, I, I was reading Acts because I was going back through Acts and just refreshing myself as I, I'm writing this book. I got to Acts chapter 5 and I read what I read is what I've now called the Gamaliel principle. If no one else has ever called it that, I'll trademark it or something. There's this guy Gamaliel who actually Paul sat under 
And Gamaliel says of a situation, if it's God, he wins. If it's man, God will overcome. But make sure you're not fighting God. I went into that meeting that day. I hadn't read the Bible for that meeting. I'd read the Bible to be in the Bible. I, I read to learn, not to teach. I read it. I went into that meeting that day. I, I sat through the meeting and I, I just said at one point, if it's God in this situation, he wins. Don't worry. If it's man's stuff, God will overcome. But the one thing we must all make sure is don't fight God. I'll never forget that day. It's become a principle of my life. I'm trying to look at things and go, if it's God, he wins. If it's man, he, God wins. I don't need to worry about either of those problems. I just need to worry about me. Don't fight God, Paul. Bad idea. The revelation in this word are encounters that you read something, you read a word. I, I, I had an occasion where I read one man's name. It was an encounter because I read it and thought, that's me. And it, it helped me with something. Their encounters, revelation, prophecies, other people. Yes, theophanies and Christophanies, they feel a bit out there. Angels, you can have encounters with angels. My wife had an encounter with an angel. We were in Heathrow Airport to get on a plane four days after 9-11 to fly to America and we had tickets from Gatwick Airport three weeks later. And, and Heathrow was packed of Americans and Canadians trying to get home. And my wife met a six foot plus angel wearing a pilot's uniform who's, who asked her what she wanted and she said, I want to be on that plane and he sent her over. And the checking in clerk didn't even question it, just looked up at that man and said, get on. You can argue with her if you like, but you will lose. That was an angel. Encounters, I want to encourage you to pursue encounters, to review your life. Don't waste your encounters. Your encounters were given to you to change you, to change the way you live, to change the way you walk, to change the companions that you walk with and to fill you with power, give you access to power. And what happened to Paul, which has become uh, really what's really driven me with this message, is that Paul's encounter had such a transformational effect on his life his zeal was repurposed. He was breathing murderous threats against us and he ends up preaching the gospel. His zeal was repurposed. His theology, he's the student of the book. He's the Hebrew of Hebrews, the scholar of scholars. And his theology was reformed, reframed. His letters, he got the letters from the priests to kill. His letters are rewritten. He writes to the Corinthians, you are our letter, written not on tablets of stone, but written by the Spirit of the living God on our hearts. His letters were rewritten. His faith was completed. In many respects, I actually think that calling it a conversion with, with Paul is actually wrong. I think it was completion. He's the Jew of Jews, the scholar of scholars. His faith was completed. His ministry rebirthed. And his human power and authority was replaced by the divine in an encounter. And what happened to him, I believe, is that not just was that an encounter, but you see the encounter became a testimony. The testimony becomes a prophecy. The prophecy becomes a weapon with which to fight for his future and to fight the fear of the future. But with Paul, it also equipped him. It equipped him to write the letters 
to write the letters that he would write to Corinth. And Corinth is the equivalent of Las Vegas, Los Angeles, New York, Johannesburg, London, Paris, Amsterdam, the modern cities of our day and the problems that we have in our cities. And what I encourage you to do is read, read what Paul wrote. Just one verse. I don't mind whether you read the lot or one verse, but read it and reflect on the road to Damascus. Because some of the verses that Paul wrote, we put on coffee mugs. And we've, we've kind of made them so commonplace that we miss the raw truth. You see, that encounter reframed his theology and out of that he would write things like, by grace are you saved. Who understood grace? Like him. Undeserving. He understood grace, for by grace are you saved, not because of all my scholarly ways, not because of all my studies, not because of all my zealous pursuit, not of all, because of all my challenges, not because of all the, the courage it took me to arrest and kill Christians. No. By grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast and he would become one who boasted in Jesus more than any would boast he found his reason to boast don't ever read that and miss the fact that it was written by Saul on the road to Damascus it was birthed grace for by grace are ye saved or he would write all things probably my favorite verse of, of Paul's all things Work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, all things. You mean like standing looking after the coats of the ones that were murdering Stephen? Like being a part of the people who killed Christians? Like being somebody on his way to arrest Christians? All things? Yes, all things. You think you have some all things that get between you and God? You don't come close to his all things. You don't even scratch the surface. You have no all things outside of all things. You don't. Nor do I. All things. He wrote it. All things. Can you imagine him writing that? He didn't copy and paste on a computer. He wasn't bypassing the emotions as he wrote these words. As he wrote grace every time. He wasn't bypassing them and going, oh, press copy and paste, grace, put it back in. He wrote it every time with his hand. And ink, he would have felt it every time he wrote it. Grace, are you saved? Or what about when he wrote, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He didn't write this as an answer to an academic paper. He didn't sit in a classroom and go, let's have a think about this. Let's have a read up on Calvinism and Arminianism and predestination and all of that. No, he knew that before the beginning of time God had looked into the future and he'd seen a man called Saul so schooled in the Old Testament that he would be the one that could paint the continuity from the old to the new and so opposed to the Christ that when he was converted nobody could deny that it must be divine he predestined him predestined him did he have a choice of course he had a choice yeah he had a choice but I think he had the Gamaliel principle in his head when he was faced with the choice. I just hit the deck. Was this God? He wins. Was this man? God wins. But I'm not going to fight God. I've studied God my whole life. I'm not fighting God. Or, or, or what about when he writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life 
nor powers, nor principalities, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, whatever order it's written in, but you know the verse, is able to separate us from the love of God. He put more barriers between him and God than all of us put together. And yet he's convinced nothing can separate. They're the absolutes of his faith and our faith and they were birthed in the dirt and the dust of the Damascus road. And we put them on coffee cups. I'm not saying don't put them on coffee cups, but they weren't designed for that. They weren't birthed there. They weren't birthed with the idea of graphic design or an answer to an academic question. They were birthed in the dirt and the dust of the Damascus road as he hit the deck, heard a voice, was blinded, had to tell his men there's a change of plan. Or another one. There is therefore now no condemnation. How did he write that? He's the condemner. He condemned Christians to death. He condemned and he would have been the condemned. And he's able to say there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He knew it. Read it differently. Read Paul differently. I mean there's so much. He's a new creature. I bet, I bet that's how he felt. When he looked in that mirror, shaving in the morning, going, I don't recognize me. Who are you? He's a new creature, a new creation. And out of that is this great man, Paul, who would write to Corinth. And the culture that he's writing into is so similar to our world. Let me give you a couple of, a couple of verses that kind of highlight for me. You know, this world in which we live, remember Paul was, he, there was no internet, no phones, no electricity, no printing press, no mass communication. He's writing things like this, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales, actually this is Peter, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world of cleverly devised tales. He says we didn't follow those. He wrote to Timothy for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled. I know people who want their ears tickled. They want to meet with people who just agree with their weird way of looking at life. They want their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Yeah, it happens on the internet. It's actually called postmodern tribalism. You gather your group on the internet who agree with you. And, and you're, you've got such a small group that you've absolutely convinced that your weird conspiracy theory is the absolute truth and somebody from outside of that tribe steps in and you shoot them down in flames because you're gathering around you people who tickle your ears. Or what about this? Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. That's in the internet. That's social media for sure. Or but avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. This is in the Bible. This describes today, doesn't it? What about this one? Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words. I don't know about you. Have you woken up ever and realized that there was a word that you'd used all your life that people are now using for a different reason? Anyone realize that? I mean, the one I always play with is one day I woke up and people told me I was woke. Well, I just woke up. That's all I did. I, I just got out of bed and I woke up. No, you're woke. It's like, 
How can that be? What does that mean? What do you mean when you say that I'm woke? I don't know what you're talking about. We're wrangling about words. We're redefining words. People take a word from one generation and use it in another generation with a completely different meaning. Paul's writing all this stuff, wrangling about words. Don't pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. Shun foolish controversies. Yeah, the word controversies in the Bible and genealogies. The kingdom of God does not exist in words but in power. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. He wrote all of this before there was mass communication, the internet. That's the world he's writing into. And Paul's encounter became the first lens for his theology. From then on, he looked through everything through the first lens of a power encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He's obsessed with the resurrected Jesus. The only Jesus he knew, but the only Jesus we know. He's obsessed with the resurrected Jesus. And and then we see that he writes letters to the Corinthians. And he has answers for the Corinthians. But the Corinthians' problems are the same problems as ours. The first one he addressed is this. He addressed wisdom. Because in Corinth, the Greeks, it's this incredible place. It's a cosmopolitan place there's a there's a couple of fascinating pieces they they had what they call an aristocracy of money because there were there weren't people that had lived there long enough to have had the history of building business or, or owning land people suddenly came into money and there was an aristocracy of money and they didn't know what to do with it that's our world you look at the people who've got billions And they're investing in crazy liberal ideas or stuff that doesn't benefit mankind. An aristocracy of money. He's writing into that. He's writing into the Greeks who believe that you can accumulate enough wisdom to not know God. He's writing into a city with intense immorality. He's writing to a city where there's polytheism. There's a whole host of ways of of knowing God. You can have many gods. He's writing to that world which is the same as our world. And he addresses these issues. He's addressing even issues of deconstruction, celebrity Christianity, division in the church, immorality. He's addressing those issues. And I believe that it was birthed on the road to Damascus. Let me just hit one or two of them. Wisdom. He says, even the wisdom that God gave you when you were created, because you were given wisdom, man's wisdom, even that wisdom is not sufficient to bring heaven to earth. Only the foolish wisdom of heaven can bring heaven to earth and it looks like Jesus. And so his whole approach is, I don't come with clever words, I come with a demonstration of power. He, he, he was willing to be foolish for the gospel because he knew that it was only the foolishness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all that we need and the only thing that can bring heaven to earth and transform a man. He talked about knowledge. There was the accumulation of knowledge in their culture. This almost appetite, this addiction to knowledge. We live in that world, don't we? There's so much knowledge available to us. And Paul would say, I only want to know one thing. I want to know him and be known by him. The knowledge of Jesus Christ. It it was his way of addressing the problems of the day. He addressed division. He said, why are you saying I am of Apollos? I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. Why are you saying that? We're of Jesus. He addressed it. He told us how to solve it. He said, see each other how the Spirit sees. 
Look at each other, how the Spirit sees, and there will be no division. Learn to see as the Spirit sees. I could unpack the Scriptures, but it's about a 50,000-word book already written, so I'm giving you a quick hit, okay? He addressed immorality. He wrote, he said, I have heard reports that there is such immorality that is worse than in the city. That was an incredible statement. He gave the example, but he addressed it. He wasn't really addressing immorality in the city. He was addressing immorality in the church. He's saying, church, get your act together. We're meant to be the example of morality. And he said, this is how you deal with it. If you knew who you carried, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you knew who you carried, you would not want to be immoral. If you knew the Holy Spirit's on your shoulder, you'd walk differently. You'd live differently. He addressed immorality. He he addressed even deconstruction. People who are tearing our Bible and our faith apart. I'll guarantee you this. You find an argument or a discussion on the internet about deconstruction and it will almost certainly be about creating a gray area in our faith. It will be an argument about a gray area. Paul addressed it. He said, he's either resurrected Jesus or he isn't. And if he isn't, we're in trouble. We're all in trouble. My, my wife, who I actually believe has Pauline theology, she, she has a phrase which I can tell you, I got it right first service. We're going to see. Because this will be a miracle. If I get it the same as she says twice, you have witnessed a miracle. She says this, he is either who he says he is or he isn't. You decide. That is Pauline theology. No gray area. Don't come at me with a gray area discussion. If you're, he is healer. It's who he is. If you don't see the healing, it's not because he isn't who he says he is. He is who he says he is. The problem's on our end. Paul addressed this gray area and it's in our world. He, he addressed celebrity Christianity. He addressed the abuse of communion. Because what's amazing about Paul's encounter is Paul's encounter on the road to Damascus also included a promise that he would have further encounters. And he did because if you read Paul, you keep reading, I received from the Lord. I mean, he received from the Lord the communion service that he wasn't at. I received from the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. That on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after he had broken it, he gave thanks. Then he took the cup and said this cup is the new covenant in my blood and he had a revelation that all of that was in the cup this is the new covenant it's all in the cup what a revelation he received he was promised more encounters and my goal today is to encourage you encourage you to pursue encounters I began to as as I began to study this I began to think about about the church and what we should be like, is it, is it possible for us to get simple again, to get back to foundations? I, I read Paul and I realize this. Whenever we gather, there should be a demonstration of his power. No negotiation. Whenever we gather, we should know that we're in the presence of God. We should steward and value and enjoy the presence of God. Whenever we gather, we should always give opportunity for a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whenever we gather, we should gather around fellowship and communion with brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And whenever we gather, we should know that we're the sent ones sent back out into the world like those police officers that were in here, sent out as ministers of the gospel of the kingdom. And it comes from Paul. We get so complicated about our Christianity. You see, he experienced grace. He learned that power overtakes earth's wisdom. He understood reconciliation. Imagine Ananias saying, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, he understood reconciliation. That's why he told us we're ambassadors of reconciliation. It's our job description, reconciliation. He understood reconciliation. He received a call which empowered perseverance. He's the one who wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, my paraphrase, I'm down but not out and quitting's not an option. He had a personal encounter, a personal communion. He heard the voice and he would recognize it again. There is an invitation for us to have encounters. And of course, the greatest encounter of them all is our first encounter. When we say yes to him. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, we are convicted by the Holy Spirit. We have this awareness that we need him in our lives. We need to respond to the one who is the resurrected Jesus, who, who, who we read about in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was Paul's gospel that he would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. He had reason to be ashamed. As soon as he got changed, he went out into the streets of Damascus and the hunter became the hunted. He was hunted out of the city. He had reason to be ashamed. He had reason to think, I killed people. But he would say, I am not ashamed. That is the first and greatest encounter of our lives to say yes to Jesus Christ, to have an encounter with him, to say, Jesus, would you come? Would you come and be the Lord of my life? Just like you were for Saul on the road to Damascus. I want my theology reframed. I want my life repurposed. I want to take the energy I put into that taken and used for your purposes and to serve the purpose of God in my life. That's the first and greatest salvation encounter. I want to invite you to stand as we close. Daryl can come up and join me, I'm sure. Because if there's anyone here and you've not had that first encounter, today would be a great day for you to have your first encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And I can tell you from my life and I can tell you from my wife's that he is who he says he is. He really is. He is provider. He is healer. He is my comforter. He is my guide. He is my friend. He is the one who has put purpose in my life, who's guided me time and time again. And he is the one that I can stand here and tell you this. I have no doubts that if my life was to end today, I'll be with him just as he promised the man on the cross he said today you will be with me in paradise if there's anyone here today and you haven't said yes to Jesus for the first time and you, you want to experience all of those other encounters prophecy encouragement 
reading the Bible and finding God in the words in the Bible if that's you and you want that you want to know eternal life in the future and you want to know the abundance of living life knowing him today the peace in the midst of all of the chaos that we live with I want to invite you just to raise your hand if there's anyone here and you've never said yes to Jesus then I want to invite you today to say yes to Jesus is anyone here two people there raising their hands There'll be a ministry team in a moment. Please come up and and receive prayer for them. I I won't lead you in that because they know this family and they know how to connect you and who to connect you with. Is there anyone else here today? Anyone here today who wants to say their first yes to Jesus? He is who he says he is. He is Savior. He's been the Lord of my life since February the 28th, 1973 at 3.30 in the afternoon, UK time. He's never let me down. Never. I've been through cancer. We've been through miscarriages. We've been through fights and battles of situations. Not Sue and I fighting. We've traveled across the pond one way and given up everything to serve him. We've come back across the pond and given up everything again. He's never let us down before. He is who he says he is. I had prostate cancer. He guided me through my prostate cancer journey. He is who he says he is. Is anyone else here who wants to say yes to Jesus today for the very first time? Oh, Father, as we close, I ask that we would know that you want to encounter us more than we want to be encountered by you. That you designed for Paul an encounter that he didn't deserve, but more importantly, he didn't want. And you have encounters for us in your word, in dreams, through prophets, through angelic visitations, through still small voices, through meeting with other people, through looking out of the beauty of nature and you want to encounter us, to speak to us and we say yes, may this be known as a house of encounters because our Christian faith is encounter Christianity. There is no Christianity without an encounter. So Father, I pray, would you remind us of our encounters? May they become our testimonies. And may those testimonies become our prophecies. And may those prophecies, as Paul wrote to Timothy, become our weapons with which we fight for our future and we fight the fear of our future. Encounter us, I pray, that we may walk differently, walk with different people and live the rest of our lives knowing that we carry power to live differently. In Jesus' name, amen.